As we work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, James chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. By the way, that means work clothes. We'll get to that in a minute. It's not what you think. It's just work clothes. And if you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brethren, God has not, chose, has not God chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and the heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who loved him? And do you have dishonored the poor man? Do, you, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? And do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convinced by the law of the transgressions. For whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the whole law, so to speak, and so do those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for our time We thank you, Lord, just to be gathered together as your body of believers. Lord, we thank you for those able to watch us and listen to us. We thank you for those serving in children's ministry and youth ministry. And that that Jesus Christ would be ever upon this ministry. And that, Lord, tonight we would not show favoritism. And, Lord, that our hearts tonight would be convicted but then repent. And have joy that your word speaks to us each and every time we come. Thank you, Lord, again. Spend time with us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Now, I know nobody has ever done this, so let's go to the next chapter. Shown partiality. Let's review. Chapter 1, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is speaking to the church. It started already. <laughs> Last week we had an issue with the water. We need some glue. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is probably the first book written to the church. And I want you to remember that as we go through. Because what James does is he challenges the believer to prove that he is a believer. Has anyone ever done that to you? Prove it. If they arrested you as a believer, 
would there be enough charges against you? Or they would go, Your Honor, I barely got anything here. Case dismissed. James wants the church to act differently. Why? Because this church is birthed out of Judeo, right? The Judaism that they came out of, and now it's Judeo-Christianity. It becomes Christianity in its fullness after Acts 15, that council. And there are things that the Jews, especially James writing to them, they need to stop doing. You see, they are doing things that it was very common in the Roman world, but also in Judaism. It was very common to show favoritism to the rich. Remember, a Jew thought that if you were wealthy, it was because God was blessing you. And so, hey, I want to have some of that blessing. Amen? And so they would... They would show favoritism. They would show somebody that was coming into the synagogue, that wealthy person, the better seat, and the guy who just came out of the field say, um, maybe you should sit in the back. Better yet, the way you smell outside. We've got a speaker out there. And the, this was normal practice. It was normal practice in the Roman world as well. So now these Jews who become Christians, these Gentiles who become Christians, now what do you do when all you know is from Judaism and what you know from the world? And I want you to hear this underlying point tonight is that as a believer, we don't let the world dictate what we do in this room. Do you see that? We don't let the world dictate how we think, how we operate, let alone any other government ideas. And what James is doing is now that you're a believer, chapter 1, you're going to go through these trials from God because it tests you and it allows you to build up hoopamony, perseverance, that I can go on and continue to live this life for Christ. But also there are temptations in the world because we still have these well, these tents, these bodies. But we must control those desires that are natural and healthy, but they must have its proper place. That was last time. And now he takes us into chapter 2 and he goes, stop doing what you used to see happen in the synagogue, but also in the Roman world. Don't bring into the church what goes on outside. It should be completely different. And so verse 1, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice James says, the Lord of glory with partiality. I'm going to read a little bit, then we'll come back. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel and a Gucci bag, what kind of guy is that? It's modern. And there should be also come in a poor man with work clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in this good place and say to the poor man, you stand there. Don't even give the guy a seat. Hey, just stand in the back or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts. 
And so he says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ and the the Lord of glory with partiality. And so it has been said this way, he who stands with confidence serves with compassion. So if you know who you serve, then you will then you will serve others with the same compassion that Jesus had. Listen, it, remember the goal of a believer is to be more Christ-like. It's to not to make you better. It's for you ultimately to take on the characteristics of our Lord, who was other-centered and compassion to those who the world thought were the outcast. And so for us, he who stands with confidence, knowing who you believe and what you believe allows you then to become a better servant of Jesus. I think so many inside of the church, they, they fail to realize who they really serve. They come to church, they sing some songs, they, they, there's stained glass, there's pew, there's all these things about religion but they really don't know who Jesus is, and they don't know the nature of the Father, that is why it's so important to take us through all 66 books so that we would have an understanding of who he is. James makes it clear that true religion finds an outlet in service. That's how he ended last week. A service which demands that a believer learn to accept others without prejudice and to assist others without, well, preconditions. I'm going to help them no matter what, because that's what Jesus would do. I, I know, we, what would Jesus do? This is James telling the church, hey, what would Jesus do in these situations? If he came into your assembly, into your Bible study, would he freak out on you how you're treating other people? And so this first half of chapter 2 denounces the practice of showing, well, respect to the rich, but then disrespecting the poor. Again, this is a foreign concept to Jesus Christ, and it should be a foreign concept to us inside the church. We're going to see that as the church, look, for 2,000 years, I don't know why the church has not read James chapter 2. Because the church has been segregated in not just color, but races. Do you know that in any given time, you're going to have obviously black, white, but you're going to have different nationalities. What if you had some Pakistanis and Indians in the same body? Do you know how long they've been fighting? Let alone a Chaldean and a Persian Or how about a Russian and a Ukrainian? You see, all these people get saved, then they come inside of the body of of Christ. What do we do with that? Are are we going to be hateful to those from Mexico because of what we believe or don't believe far as immigration? What do we do as as a believer? And what James is saying, knock it off. You guys are claiming to be believers, and yet you're doing something that if my half-brother shows up, he'd be like, all right. (laughs) So as a believer, there is no place in Christianity to be a snob or discrimination. Amen? I know I've been talking about this for a while. We're even going to talk about race. This has no place in the church at all. 
So therefore, it shouldn't even be raised inside of the church. Not only is the mature Christian patient and testing, again, from last chapter, but he also practices what he believes. And so the theme of this section is about mature believers. But immature people talk about their beliefs, but only mature people live their faith. Let me say that again, because I love this quote from William McDonald. Immature people talk about their beliefs. That's all they do is talk. But mature believers act it out. They live a life of faith, and they live a life of service. You know those commenting people on Facebook and YouTube? All right, well, I see it all the time. That's all I see is comments. But it's like, when was the last time you got out there and served? Are you serving in your local church, or you're just saying words about religion? Because James is going to say, Man, I don't care what you say, it's what you do. And so he says, my brethren, in your practice of the Christian faith, do not show partiality. Listen, we need to be serving like our master. We need to serve and not have a contempt for others because of where they were born, their race, sex, or poverty. I, I really want to go down some paths tonight, but I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. <laughs> Just for a moment, think about, maybe you've come out of a church and they didn't want a certain group of people there. How is that even possible as a, as a follower of Jesus? Jesus invited everybody to come. Now, here's the thing, because... People like to misuse that. He, Jesus wants everybody to come, but he doesn't expect you to stay in that state. He expects change in your life. If you're not going to change, don't come. God's like, you're just wasting my time. He, expect, he wants everybody to come. Our doors are wide open. But Christ expects some change. That is what James is trying to tell this church and us. And so this passage is a matter of showing deferential treatment to people because of their expensive clothes or their artificial distinctions. I I don't know about you, and this is why I I don't like to spend a lot of time on social media. Anybody else? Because the things you see, you're like, are you kidding me? This is what's going on in our world, and people are paid to do stupid stuff? Like, how do I get on board with that? I'll just get paid for doing videos of dumb stuff. Amen. That's a job. And people follow that stuff. Listen, that is artificial. It's made up. It's not real. Let me read to you a couple of things from John Corson I thought were really funny. He said, if you knew in 10 minutes that you would have a half-hour meeting with the President of the United States. Now, everybody just calm down. (laughs) You just pick your favorite president that you would like to sit down and talk to. I would love to have sat down and talked to Harry S. Truman. There are some presidents that I would love to sit down with, John Adams. 
Now imagine if you had a half an hour to speak to a president. What would you do to get yourself ready in 10 minutes? John says, would you brush your teeth, comb your hair, take a shower? How fast could you get yourself presentable? But what if in 10 minutes you were about to meet a homeless man? What would you do then? What kind of energy would you expend? This is what James is getting at. You see, we're all vulnerable at this. We're all guilty of treating people differently depending on how we view them outwardly. But almost without exception, the irony is, listen, the people we try to impress the most are those who care about us the least. Let me say that again. Because I want everybody to understand. I say, I've been saying this for years. The people you think care about you don't care about you. They are all about themselves. Let me say this quote again. Without exception, the irony is that people we try to impress the most are those who care about us the least. While the people who really would be open to receiving from us are those whom we think we don't have the time for. Isn't that sad? I mean, think about this. John continues. He says, on a high school campus, so often the goal is to see the quarterback or the head cheerleader saved. He said, the real key, however, is to go for the kid who sits in the back of the cafeteria all alone. For he's the one who is the most often ready to listen. The same holds true at work. We tend to get all excited about the people we highly esteem financially or professionally, economically or intellectually. But it's the poor people who will be the most responsive to the gospel and the most welcoming because of it. And because we often waste our time trying to impress people who are impressed just about themselves. We need to change our perspective. And James says, knock it off. Stop trying to do what the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans do and do what Jesus does. Again, our Lord didn't look at the outward appearance. He looked at the heart. He was not impressed with riches or social status. Did not Jesus meet plenty of rich people, plenty of uh, Pharisees and Sadducees who were had a social status way above his. You see, Jesus was more interested in the poor widow who gave the might. He pointed her out. Even though he could see all the rich people giving, he said she gave all she had. Furthermore, Jesus often looked at the potential in people's life, and we tend to fail to see that. You see, when he saw Simon, he saw Peter, he didn't see a stinky fisherman, he saw Rocky. That's what his name is, Peter the Rock, Rocky, not Rock, not the Rock, Dwayne. Now we've got two different guys named the uh. He saw in Matthew, who was a tax collector, he saw a potential writer of the gospel. What do we do when we meet people for the first time? Do
Do we look at their outward appearance? Or like Jesus, we say, man, if we could get them on board with Jesus, what would they be able to do? Not only because of poor people, but rich as well, and we'll see that. You see, we are prone to judge people by their past and not their future. When Saul of Tarsus was converted, the church in Jerusalem was so afraid it took a man named Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to tell everybody to calm down, that he had believed in Saul's conversion. And he helped break down those those barriers and their bonds. We are also prone to judge by outward appearance rather than the inner attitude of the heart. We do not enjoy sitting with certain people in the church because they are not our kind of people. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Do we do the same, James says. Verse 2. He says, he gives the example. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings. By the way, gold rings in this day was a a wealth status. In fact, there were places where you could rent rings men because you were going to meet this senator or or this uh, high official and you could rent rings and then go to your party and then come back and turn them in. That's what this, uh, in the, I know none of you have ever done that. Well, we rent tuxedos, don't we? And so in their day, men with gold rings meant status. Not only that, but fine apparel. By the way, uh, we've made this uh, point lots here at Calvary Chapel, is that most people barely had two pieces of clothing in their lifetime. Uh, If they had two changes of clothes, they were doing well. And usually that was in that rough wool fabric Right? I mean, can you imagine that on a hot uh, Jerusalem day wearing that kind of tunic? I I don't want to say dress. It was that long kind of flowing robe. I mean, what was that like? But then you could have some fine imported silk. You could have something imported, a better fabric. You could have Egyptian cotton. Oh, that Egyptian cotton. The thousand count whatever. I think that's all made up, by the way. And so, verse 2 says, If there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a, uh, in a poor man with work clothes. Now, I think this is interesting because they would have their Bible studies after work. Sometimes, as we know from Paul, they would work part of the day. They would have a siesta. I, I want to bring that back and then work again. But Paul, during the siesta time, would have Bible studies. So you can imagine guys coming from their shift in the morning, coming just to have Bible study, but they would be in their work clothes, (laughs) be it a fisherman or a carpenter or a stonemason, right? They've got stone dust all over them. They look terrible, but they're walking into church. Who cares? So what is James trying to tell us? He, he's challenging the, this church and he is saying, 
Why is it when someone comes into your congregation who is dressed in fine clothes, who has a name, or who is highly esteemed, you give him the best seat in the house? And how is it that we need to so listen to James? Now, I have to say, we here at Calvary Chapel, Myrtle Beach, um, we allow everybody to come how they are. Um, we don't require a certain dress. I've got flops on today. Some of you are shrieking in horror. The pastor has flip-flops on. We live at the beach. Now, I do have my own policies for the pulpit. I don't wear shorts up here, but I do have... Com- I-, I like to be comfortable when I'm up here. I'm the one standing. You're sitting. Why not I be comfortable? But I love the air here at Calvary. We're not judging you for coming in. Now, listen, if, if somebody comes in with something immodest, that's different. But for the most part, we're just happy you're here. We're happy that on a Wednesday night you worked all day or you were with the kids all day and you're like, I can't wait to drop them off in children's ministry so I can be an adult for a couple of hours. Thank you. I knew Brooke was going to say that. It was coming from the left. (laughs) We just want you to come here to be refreshed. What if we said, maybe you went to a church where it was a three-piece suit. Ladies, you had to have a dress on and the hair was done up. And everybody is dressed to the nines. Now, if that's what you want to do, okay, but don't judge other people because they don't do that. I love the freedom of Jesus Christ. He came to set us free from the bondage of religion, and then the church said, hey, we'll adopt that too. And they've been doing that for 2,000 years. (laughs) I mean, how many of you have walked into a church normally dressed like I am, as normal as this can be, and you walk in there, and, and it's like everybody is, and you feel totally out of place, right? Yeah, but I thought we were just here to worship Jesus. Verse 3, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to, say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality amongst yourself and become judge judges with evil thoughts? He said, listen, my brethren, or my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world? The Greek here is a little bit different. It's because they are already poor, God has already chosen them that way. It's not that God chose the poor to be poor. Amen? That's not what he is saying. He is saying because they are already poor and because they are already in that state, God God in in his mercy and his grace, when he brings the message, they are more uh, readily able to accept it. I mean, think about the rich man who is comfortable in his riches. Why go to church? But we'll see in a minute how fast they blaspheme the name of our Lord. And he says, 
Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and the heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? And do you, uh, uh, but you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? And do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? He says, listen, you treat the rich guy when, you, when he comes in, but at the drop of a hat, that guy will drag you into jail because he can, because he has wealth, and because he has power. Think about the people. Anybody see a poor person with power on the national stage? No. What do you see them doing? What do you see Bill Gates doing? What do you see the tech people doing? Because they have got to this place of so-called power and because of what they have for his riches, they want to control every aspect. And they do. And they censor it. I don't know about you, but I think the funniest thing from COVID is the last week where all the emails are coming. Everything will be, that is hidden will be revealed. Amen. It, it will all come out. You might be frustrated for a couple of years, but eventually it will come out and you will know just like we all thought that Fauci was lying. And the government was lying. And the government was hiding. And it's all true. But what did Facebook do? They banned everybody that was talking about it. Because they can. See, we think we live in a free society. We don't. Not when it comes to them. Isn't it funny that James is saying something that we know 2,000 years ago? Preach it, James. Facebook. He says, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? Do they not blaspheme the name of Jesus? Think about that. People who have money, people who have this control, they blaspheme the name of the Lord. They will put everything else on, promote everything else on, except for Jesus. They will promote Pride Week or Pride Month, but they won't pr promote Jesus Christ. Not only that, but they will blaspheme his name. But don't worry, church. <laughs> they will be judged. And I want to have a front row seat. That's all right. I'll repent of that later. He says, verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law, why is it the royal law? Because we are heirs of the kingdom. Our king is Jesus. And we are part of that. Therefore, it's the royal law. According to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you're doing that, you do well. Of all the teachings of the Bible, this is certainly the most revolutionary when Jesus spoke about it. He said, you shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. Think about what that means. It means that we should care for others as we care for ourselves. We should be willing to share our material possessions with those who are not as we are. Above all, we should do it not in our own power, but in the power of Jesus Christ. 
Too often our decisions are based on our actions far as this. What, am I, what is that person going to give, get me? Or what am I going to get back from that person if I help them out? And Jesus never looked at that situation that way. He simply helped that person out, not caring. Listen, you should never care if you're getting something in return. Let me tell you why. Because every time that you're doing something for somebody like that, it, you think you're blessing them. Well, you might. But nine times out of it, out of ten, you're the one being blessed. Happens all the time. You're like, I'm going to go do something great. All right, Lord, I'm going to do something good. Wait a minute, there's my pride again. Uh, I'm just going to help this person out. It's going to be wonderful. I get there, I start doing it, and I'm doing it, and I'm crying. I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm a dirtbag. <laughs> because I was doing it in, my, in, in a wrong motive, and then you realize, oh, and then the Lord just humbles you. And then you, you, you start doing it for the right reason. And now you're blessed and you leave and you're like, yeah, why don't I do that more often? And so he says the royal law forbid, forbids such selfish exploitation of others. It teaches us to love our neighbor as ourself. Now, a scribe came to Jesus, remember that, and he said, well, who is my neighbor? just like a scribe, just like a lawyer, wants to know what words mean. And Jesus told him about the Good Samaritan, didn't he? Remember the two, the two religious leaders that walked on by. And it was the Samaritan who was the hated of the Jew. He is the one who showed compassion and not only paid for him to be in an inn, but said, whatever else he owes, I will come back and pay it. He didn't want anything else. He just wanted to see that person healed again. Again, the main reason why this royal law is that we, uh, the reason why we obey it is because it makes us more like Jesus. Love your neighbor. Now, hatred makes a person a slave. But love sets us free from selfishness and enables us to reign like kings. I was thinking about this this morning, and I thought about that statement. Let me read it again. Hatred makes a person a slave. Why is it in our nation that we are so interested in hating all these other groups? Why do we have identity politics? Why are you this or you that and this is that group and they're pitting all of us to, against each other? Why is that? Well, it puts people in bondage. What sets us free is no matter what your color is, no matter what your race is, Jesus says to love you and to do good to those who spitefully treat you. As David Gusick said, if a, if a burglar comes into my house, I hit him with the frying pan, tie him up, call the police, and then make him breakfast. That's a believer. You don't let the burglar come in and destroy your home. You do what's right. You take him out. <laughs> you bandage his womb and say, would you like marmalade? That's a believer. That's what's different. 
Christian love does not mean that I must like every person or agree with them on everything. This is important as well. We can have differences in the body of Christ. We can have differences in style of ministry. But when it comes to the major things, we need to take a doctrinal stand again. But everything else that are on the fringe, we need not worry about that. Well, I love saying it. It's not a salvation issue. If it's not, don't worry about that. Listen, I may not like their vocabulary or habits. I may not want them as an intimate friend. But Christianity means treating and loving people like God loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you were in your ugly, Gentile, sinful state, he said, I'll take you. Now, do we do that to other people? Or we just say, I don't got a time for that. I don't want to get messy with that person's life. What if Jesus said that? By the way, think about the people who reached out into your life. What did they do for you? How did they reach out? You do the same thing. Now, again, all of this must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. As I act in love towards another, I find myself drawn more and more to Jesus. The more I love the unlovable, the more I love my neighbor, the more I am drawn to Jesus. Because it is his characteristics, it is him who I'm becoming more like. Love, remember, hear this if you hear nothing else. You're like, Thanks for waking me up. Love always builds up. Hatred tears down. Hatred burns. And I mean literally cities are burning because of people's hatred. But love builds up. We only believe as much of the Bible as we practice If we fail to obey this most important word, which is love thy neighbor as thyself, then we will not do any good with the lesser matters of the world. James says, this is the most important thing that we do, is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Everything else is just secondary. This is what defines the church. They will know that we are Christians by our what? Giant buildings. T-shirts. Bumper stickers. No. They will know that we are Christians by our compassion and our love for those who when they kill your husband, you go back into the very village, Elizabeth Elliot. Man, it's so important to read biographies, Christian biographies, to know those who have gone before you so you can do the very same thing. How do you take your five-year-old daughter back into the same village that, that murdered your husband and three of his missionary friends? Well, you can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that entire village is cha- changed, and now that entire village comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And now Jim Elliott's in heaven going, right on. It was all worth it. 
to lay down your life for a friend. He continues. But if you show partiality, you commit a sin and are convicted by the law of the transgressor. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. What I really like about James, hopefully you're picking that up. Remember, we're just out of Judaism. We're like barely, we're just crawling out and we're getting our Christian legs and we're starting to walk. But James is so Jewish in his writing. You can hear him coming out of it and finding this new joy in Jesus. But he says to those who, he said, James guards us against a selective obedience, the sort that will pick and choose what commands of God we should obey and what should we disregard. James points out to this group as well as those coming out of Judaism, you can't pick and choose what you want. We might say, uh, Lord, um, I'm good with the no-killing thing, but that adultery thing, uh, I mean, it's 2021. I mean, everybody's doing it. No, then we're guilty of that law. The whole law must be kept if one would be justified by that law. A rabbi once said, if a man performs all the commandments save one, he is guilty of all and to each and to bring to break one precept is to defy God's holy command for the entire entirety of the law. Now, look, stop freaking out because we're not justified by the law. He's going to tell us that in a minute. But he wants you to understand and he wants them to understand. He says, for he who says, do not commit adultery, <clears throat> also says, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you'll become a transgressor of law. I don't want to be that guy's friend, by the way. So to speak, that means other things. And so do those who judge will be judged by the law of liberty. As believers, you are no longer under the law of bondage, but you are under the law of liberty. The law of Moses required that you love your neighbor, but it never gave you the power to live out that command. Under grace, you were given the power to love your neighbor and you were rewarded in heaven when you do it. I don't know about you, but I read the Old Testament, I look at the law, and I think that was a hard life. Because on this side of the cross, the Holy Spirit lives inside of each believer. He gives you what you need to love the neighbor that is unlovable. That person that is sitting in your chair. Don't they know it's mine? That visitor who came? Don't they know I sit there? Over to another side. Be happy they're here. Be happy there are people in the seats. To be overflowing with people. Just seeking God. Lastly, he says, for judgment is without mercy 
to the one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. What James says is this. Let's test ourselves tonight. On the subject of partiality. Do we show more kindness to those of our own race than of, of other races? Are we more kindly disposed to the young than of the old? Are we more outgoing to good-looking people than to those who are plain or homely? Are we more anxious to befriend a prominent person than to those who are comparatively unknown? I mean, think about that. What if somebody, and I don't really care about such things, but what happens when somebody walks in the room that's known? Charlie Kirk. <laughs> the last president. It happened at a church in Virginia. He just showed up. Imagine that. What do we do? Do we avoid people with physical infirmities? And seek the companionship of the strong and the healthy? Do we favor the rich over the poor? Do we give the cold shoulder to foreigners and those who speak our language with a foreign accent and we can't really pick it up so we don't really want to be around them? As we answer these questions, let us remember that the way we treat the least lovable believer is the way we treat the Savior. Matthew 25, verse 40. Let me end with this. And the king will answer and say unto them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. How we treat others in the church. It, it, you got to get this at the end. How we treat others in the church is no different than treating Jesus the same way. Does that put it in perspective? You're like, oh, I didn't know by giving them the cold shoulder or not answering an email or a text or something, I was, I was doing that to Jesus. Again, what does he tell us? He says, I say, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these brethren, you did it to me. Now, if you thought, all right, James, that's great. Can we go? Can we? No, he is going to continue to wail on us for the next couple of chapters. Still keep coming. <laughs> I want you to hear a man who grew up with Jesus. And he watched how he dealt with his brothers and his sisters and his mom and everybody else. I mean, think about that, James. Like, Jesus, why are you even talking to that person? They're not even part of our family or tribe. He doesn't even realize. James, all the stuff that he saw growing up would all come back into his head, come back to the, the page he watched his brother. He watched his king deal with the people that no one else wanted to deal with. Well, read ahead next week. 
because literally he says, if you, the life in which you live will be proved out in what you do on this side of eternity. It's not just our words he's going to tell us next week. It's our actions. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your servant James, for his heart, Lord, to see the church do what is right and pure and holy. And Lord, let us never shun somebody because how they look or even how they smell, what status they are, what car they drive, what house they live in or not live in, what education they have or don't have an education. Let us have the heart of Jesus. Let us not judge the outward, but the heart. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us of our failures. Lord, let us be tender and compassionate like you were. And you still are. Thank you, Lord, for the church. We thank you for the body of Christ that you use on this planet to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. And so, Lord Jesus, come. In your name, your holy, precious name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship this last song. Read ahead in Revelation chapter 7 as we look at the 144,000 Jewish evangelists for Jesus. Let's worship. Just to see 